beef, provolone, onion, olives, green pepper, pickle. Matt, Matt, we're 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 live right now. That I'm just so hungry. That's great. That's great, Matt. All right, fine. You you keep thinking about sandwiches. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? That's Matthew Schufrider, your your host. Um, yeah, congratulations, y'all. This this is this is who you're working with. I'm Griffin McCorkle. I do uh, some other things. Um, Matt, we've got a we got a pretty cool guest today, don't we? We have a lovely guest. I love this guy so much. Great. Why don't you tell the people about him in great detail? I will hold my appetite to talk about our guest, Travis Monroe Nice. Travis and I, we, we said in this interview, for like a good year, we have been in the same room, callback room, audition room, audience, and yet we never spoke to each other until... Whoa. Like nothing, it wasn't like personal. We just never had a chance because either he was on stage auditioning, I was getting ready to, to do a scene, or vice versa. Until we did It's a Wonderful Life a couple years ago. He was George, I was Potter, and we became great friends. And so, and funny enough, the day before we opened was November 2019. I asked him, Travis, do you want to be on my podcast? And he said, Absolutely. So I'm a man of my word. About 13 months later, yeah. here, here he is. <laughs> Travis is an actor. He lives in Chicago. He was uh, he went to Milliken and Weaver. Uh, and like I said, he's the vice president of Big Noise Theater. And we talk about theater companies moving forward with the changes that happened in 2020. Uh, we talked about directing and, and performing in multiple theater companies and stuff like that oh and we also talked about education because that is uh pretty important nowadays yeah no yeah. kidding so hold a chair grab a drink i don't care what you drink just drink and listen to our conversation with travis monroe niece hi travis thank you for doing this yeah of course i'm excited me too. I, I always like to just mention the story just because, you know, I, we just, I just mentioned it, you know, I asked you to be on this podcast long ago, like when we were in dress rehearsal for Wonderful Life, like the first night. Oh, a lifetime, you know? <laughs> yeah. It feels so much longer than that. Um, you know, I, I've been rephrasing my first question because we've been doing about 15 to 20 episodes of uh, this podcast during this pandemic, during this crisis. Yeah. And I've been, I've been sort of rephrasing my question just because it went from how have you been to what have you learned? And now we're in this new phase of the, uh, because you know, we're recording this after a historical inauguration. Uh, right. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, January 21st and the inauguration was yesterday. So I, I think for now, for you, how have you changed since this whole pandemic has started to where we are now? Oh, that is such a like loaded question. <laughs> um, but like in a good way, like I uh, surprisingly, like the pandemic sort of pushed me to do like a lot of like life changes that I've been putting off. Um, like I started grad school. I moved into a new place on my own. I got a puppy. Like it's kind of pushed like all of these things. I've been like, huh, I kind of want to do these things. But like, I don't know, something about the pandemic, I was just like, well, might as well just do it now. Like, so I, yeah, I've definitely had like a lot of overall life changes happen during the course of the pandemic for, for the better. Like a lot of really good stuff has happened, which is right. great. Yeah. And you know, I've been speaking to a bunch of my friends and they said like, because, because of this pandemic, there have been many different things in my life. Like for me, for instance, like I, like you, I, I moved, I'm in my own little place in this own little studio. Uh, I have actually been able to reconvene with many friends who I haven't seen probably even before this pandemic, probably in about years prior. So I think if anything, this pandemic, which changed about me was I've been, I think reconnection has kind of been the theme for me in terms of everything that's been going on. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's, it's kind of allowed me to um, 
sort of like take that time to reconnect because with just kind of the hustle and bustle life that I felt like I was leading before the pandemic I was like oh I mean like I haven't talked to this person in a while but like I'll see them at an audition or I'll see them out and about at some point but like when you're forced during a shutdown to not do any of those things like it it definitely has you like you, you kind of have to put that step forward and make those like initial contacts like hey like how are you doing and I've I've had I've done that for a lot of people I've had a lot of people do that for me just like the hey I know like it's been a while but like I just thought about you and wanted to check how you're doing which is kind of great that in this horrible time that we've been living in that like it's kind of helped foster that sense of connection with people right we you know we, we're looking there's a light at the end of the tunnel it's I know it's it's weird to say because it doesn't feel like it whenever I read something or hear something it's like are we sure we're nearing the end or are we getting near the end but you know where do you see yourself when this is all over because I myself, it's going to be so weird for me to like hug someone, go to have my mask off and see someone's chin and not yell at them for it, right? Where do you see yeah. that? So I, I've had kind of a, a weird sense of normalcy because I, I went back to work in June. Mm-hmm. So like I've, I've, been, I've been working in person with the kiddos and everything since June. So like I've had like kind of that larger network of people that I see on a daily basis um but I I was talking to one of my friends about it just the other night I was like the I think the weirdest thing is going to be like performing like I'm not somebody that gets like stage fright like I think the last time I'd stage fright was the first show I was ever in and then I was like okay that's fine but like right now the idea of like an opening night is one of the scariest things (laughs) right now because it's just it's so like alien to me right now because like I haven't been in rehearsals since It's a Wonderful Life like it's just it's very strange to kind of think about performing and like getting back into that lifestyle once all of this is over and then like seeing that audience of like the 200 100 like all squished together like ooh, like even like saying that just makes me so like weird thinking yeah. about it and it's it, yeah yeah no well like as, as like as somebody that's been I mean I've been performing since I was 14 years old so like it's like second nature but like I feel like all of us as performers we're like we're gonna get back into it and it's gonna be kind of like a oh like nobody really knows what we're doing for the first couple months but we're just gonna try it which is gonna be exciting and terrifying all at once but that's art <laughs> did you see that um that Chris Jones piece he wrote no well I, I haven't it's been a while since I read it and I, and we, I spoke about it before on this show, but kind of just the way that he was writing it made it sound like everyone's just going to be very rusty and it's going to show and theater's not going to be as good when it comes back. And to me, like, just for me, I'm like, why are you bringing the inner critic back now? Like it, it, for me, it's like we're look at the given circumstances of where we're in, and you know, just the, the the mental and physical health of such performers. You know, you or me, we've been easy to connect to people and still find some normalcy in our lives. But there's also just probably people who this has been so tough for them, and probably will take a long time. And just for someone to to criticize that and react to it, I just don't feel as unhealthy. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I that I I hadn't read that piece and like hearing about that, like it definitely kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's like you're you're kind of negating the fact that like once we are able to create art again after all of this, like how in and of itself that is going to be groundbreaking that we are able to have a theater performance we are able to have an audience in a room and to have that connection between performer and audience level like that is something that is so significant and it's been missing for over a year now like it's something that we don't have right now so it just kind of rubs me the wrong way to already being like well the quality is not going to be good because it's like it's kind of groundbreaking when we're going to be able to do it again. So like, just be thankful that we're able to have it. (laughs) Let's just be thankful that at some time soon, we're going to be able to just perform. And I think, I wonder even just rethinking about that piece again, I think he's just missing what the purpose of 
performing is, which is just play and imagination. That's, and I get it. We critics, they have to do their thing, but like, you know, we're performers. We're supposed, this is what really makes, makes us, you know? Well, and it's, it's so interesting. Um, Cause I, so I'm the vice president for a big noise theater out in this plains. And like, we, we still have like our monthly board meetings, like talking about like what kind of programming we can do right now, trying to plan for the future and stuff. And like recently we, we've been talking about like when we are able to have a season, like what we want to do, because like we, we had ideas for what season we wanted to do, but with all of the changes that the world has seen in the last year alone, like, we want to really be cognizant of what audiences need right now. Like what kind of show an audience needs as like the welcome back to the theater. Um, so it's, it's just kind of interesting to think about it from that perspective as opposed to, well, what's, what's gonna be like the most like critique worthy piece of art. And it's, I, I don't think that should be what's important right now. I think what's important is what we as performers and what our audiences need so we can have that reciprocal relation between artist and performer like this has been a traumatic year in many senses of the word so like what can we do that is healing with our art and we can go into this now but yeah you are the race president of big noise theater and i was listening to this podcast uh, a day a few days ago sports podcast let's talk about sports on an arts podcast but but really the question I think can just be stated for any company or in general which was you know like you said you're trying to you're trying to figure out a season and what audiences need nowadays and you know besides this pandemic we went through so many different changes in our life and so do you are you hoping this change continues on or do you see other companies being like all right well we did that. Let's go back to the way we were, the good old days. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know that I can only speak for like my company, but it's definitely something that um, we've been very passionate about what we can do to like continue this trend um, to be like, we, we want to make sure that we are being current in that sense that like we, we actually have been batting back and forth um, amendments to our mission statement. And that is a big piece that I really advocated for us to add in that like, we need to use our platform to speak on current social issues. Um, like, yes, the, the theater is a wonderful place for escapism and you can create really beautiful work, um, but not at the expense of silencing what's going on in the world. And I, I do worry that some other theaters like may have just kind of jumped on the bandwagon of like, oh, everybody's talking about this, let's do it too. But when it comes down to it, whether those theaters are going to follow through, even though it might come at the expense of some financial revenue, I think that's gonna be a big determining factor um, to see if these theaters, you know, kind of walk the walk when it comes to these issues. Right, and that just me as a performer, um, what I think changed about me was just I became a better artist by just simply listening to what's going on and that's just the biggest thing I can do listening and learn and that's why you know just going forward I, though I don't own a theater company and my hat's off to you I think what you're doing is fantastic uh, I hope it's just I want to do just good work I'm doing this this very silly uh, movie script company and we're just reading movies and, you know, you kind of get to pick a movie and cast it yourself. And already from that, it's just simply love. I don't want to just stick to what's on the screen. I want to make this my own and figure out like what artists I can see doing this. And that's been better for me than just, I like this person. Let's put them there. It's become more of a why. I think just the listening and answering to is how for me, I want to do my work. Um, better and that that's I mean that's something that I kind of have have I've sort of always felt it's been a personal critique of um I mean Chicago theater might not enjoy me for saying this but like uh, something that I feel with Chicago theater is that it does often rest on its laurels of this person is very talented it's a name that people know and will sell tickets so we will continue to cast them and like it's kind of like the same select group of people bouncing between the different equity houses or the different theaters. And 
I, while I completely understand that, especially from a administrative standpoint of working uh, behind the scenes with a theater company that like, if you're picking a show, you want to make sure that you're going to have the talent to carry that show. But I, I do worry that sometimes the Chicago market and of, of course, other markets do this as well. It's just not limited to the Chicago market, but that they tend to run into the issue of, well, you're not allowing new voices to come in. You're not allowing diverse representation to come into your shows. You're kind of just picking the same comfortable choices as opposed to really challenging your company, challenging your audience's perspectives, challenging your artists, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I don't know, so, something that I, I really like doing the, the, the bold choice, like the, the unexpected when it comes to like directing or kind of anything like that. So I don't know, I, I hope that moving forward, theaters kind of take that step too, that they, you know, they don't rest on just like, oh, well, we know that this person is going to be amazing. They're going to sell all these tickets. We've cast them time and time again. It's like, yes, they are very talented and they are great, but there's five other people that could be just as talented, but they can't even get their foot in the door because you've already decided on this person that you've worked with before. Right. I'm curious, and you, you can't give me, don't give me any behind the scenes big noise, but if we had to put you in charge of, a, of an opening uh, season for a show, what for you, all right, Travis, you're in charge, what show and why? Who I, <laughs> let me just open my Rolodex, <laughs> what I want to do, um, but I, so realistically, like, I, I think something that is so important with theater is to challenge our audiences um to I I want an audience to leave the show having been changed in some way or having a new idea about something like essentially my goal in creating theater is I want the car ride home to have a good conversation about the show as opposed to well I liked their costumes or wow that song was really pretty like I want an audience to be impacted by it um and so in like looking at like shows to kind of do like I I feel like right now like it could be fun to do like something that people are familiar with like Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella or I I know like Oklahoma is like big because of the New York production recently but like something that like people are familiar with but making it palatable for a 2021 audience having that classic story reflect what is going on in our world now. That's something that I love to do as a director and as an uh, artist. It's something that really motivates and inspires me is like trying to make sure that it has a, a, a current discussion point. Um, so I think there's, there's so much potential of different shows that you could pull from that have that, the potential to do that, to have that car ride home where the, the family that went and saw it, they have an actual like conversation about it as opposed to just, wow, the, the set was beautiful. That's right. I've been, I don't know if you've seen the movie, um, same time next year. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, it's, it's also a play, I believe. It's, it's about, it's, it's all, it stars um, Alan Alda and Ellen Burstyn and they are married in real life and they are, have a fling. They meet once a weekend, once a year. And so the, the film goes past multiple years and multiple decades of like, how have they changed? Because they only talk three days of the entire year. And um, for me, as this person who's kind of trying to figure out what does he want in life, of, I, um, I think just human behavior is something I think is a great conversation starter. And the see of a relationship, I think that is really good conversation starters. Uh, because I think audience members kind of want to see realism because I think that's is how they start a conversation I think so one, one day when this is all over and I get my directing degree um, <laughs> watch out for same time next year or whenever oh. that <laughs> I can't wait for your directing debut whenever that would be right. uh, well speaking of speaking of uh directing so you were that's not a good segue at all uh, <laughs> Let's try that again. So you were born uh, in Ames, Iowa, but you, you grew up somewhere else. You grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, so what, how, what was that transition like and how that even, why did that even happen? Um, so 
I really did your research. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, so I, I was born in Iowa. We lived there for quite a bit of my youth, um, but right around, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade, um, we moved to North Carolina um, for a job opportunity for my parents. Um, and so that was kind of a very big transition living in the Midwest to the South, um, especially at like kind of a young teenage like preteen time in my life. Um, yeah, that that was a, a, a little bit of a struggle, but um, in doing that, that's actually what had me find theater and find acting. Hmm. Um, Cause I, yeah, so I moved, I didn't really know like many people, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I remember I was watching um, TV show that some people might be familiar with called Degrassi, The Next Generation. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Wow. You just brought some yeah. listeners on this show now. I, I am really dating myself, but <laughs> it was doing um, one of their every episode ever marathons. And yeah. I remember watching it and there's like one episode where I was like, I feel like I could do better than this guy. <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but like little, little like 12, 13 year old traps was like, yeah, I think I could do better than this. And so I just started like Googling. I was like, how do you become an actor? And like trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and then I found out that there was a um, private performing and visual arts high school that you could audition for in my area. Um, and so it was very much a whim. I'd never performed before, no experience whatsoever. And I went to this audition and um, out of the like 70 or 80 kids who auditioned, I was one of 10 that was selected for the theater program, um, just out of the blue. Um, and that was like, going to that high school kind of set the trajectory for the rest of my life. Um, this was Weaver, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You really did your research. I, I, I don't know why. I like research. Um, um, what were you what, what were you like as a child? Was there, and even when you went to Weaver, was there a big, could you see a big difference in yourself? 100%. Um, I like finally found people that like I just connected with. Because what, what was really great about Weaver was it, it had different performing visual arts programs. So theater, dance, vocal performance, um, music production, all that visual arts. Um, so it was, I said, like, I kind of joke, I was like, you took all of the like kind of artsy outcast kids that normally would have a horrible time in public school and you just stick them together in an art school. And it like high school was amazing. I absolutely loved high school. Um, and my, like my graduating class, there were 32 of us. Like it was very small. I knew everybody. Um, and it, it was, it was really cool because we, um, took so many like electives based in our area. So by the time I was auditioning for colleges, I, I had so many roles on my resume. I'd taken tech theater classes. I'd taken musical theater classes. I'd taken film classes. Like it really helped me have a competitive edge to get into different college programs, um, which I was super thankful for. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, my uh, theater ensemble from high school, like I still talk to them every day. Like we, we have like a group chat um, and it's, yeah, that going to Weaver definitely set the course of the rest of my life because if I had not done it, I wouldn't have found theater. So I wouldn't have applied to a theater program and gotten a degree in acting and then moved to Chicago and been here now like it's 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 definitely one of the kind of turning points uh from my childhood I'm wondering because during the holidays my younger brother got me hooked on high school musical the musical the series <laughs> and I was like okay it's 10 episodes I got nothing going on and my god every person on that show is exactly like someone I knew when I did theater back in high school. Yeah. The stage manager, the nerdy ensemble dancer who wants to be a star, the lead, the lead actress who knows who can sing but is shy. I'm wondering when you go back, and I don't know if you I don't know when was the last time you went back to Weaver, but when you or do when you see 
a teenager who wants to do the arts, do you see an old high school Travis or even a friend uh, in that person? Yeah, it's, um, so what's, what's been really fun for me is, um, oof, really dating myself again, but in the 10 years since I graduated high school, wow, that's really strange to say. <laughs> but uh, Weaver has grown in so many different ways. Um, and not only in like numbers, like they have a lot more students, which is great. Um, but like seeing the level of talent that they have and like the quality, like the level of shows that they're producing, it's so awesome to get to see these kids having like a similar experience that I had. Um, whether it's like on social media when like the Weaver theater group like posts something, I'm like, I see these kids, it's like their senior year and they're doing this musical. And I'm like, that was me. Like, I, I remember that like thrill and exhilaration of like it's senior year. I've for four years, I've I've been in this program and like worked so hard. And like, it's, it's, it's a really special place. Um, and so, yeah, kind of like looking at like the kids that are there now, it's, it's really cool to see that it's continuing that like I said, kind of those weird outcasts who wouldn't normally fit into public school, like they're finding their niche. They're finding a place where they can really be themselves and really thrive. It's just really cool to see. Well, they were breaking free as High School Musical was telling them. Well, this has been fun. I'm going to go <laughs> And I'm canceled. <laughs> um, how did your parents feel about you doing all this? They were super supportive. Um, my my parents have been really really supportive of um, both. So my brother he's a musician. Um, he's in a band. He can literally pick up any instrument and play it. He's just very lucky that way. Um, and he's been like working on pursuing his music career. I've been living in Chicago, working on my acting. And yeah, my my parents have been super supportive. Really really proud of us. Um, they always joke they're like we don't know where you guys got this because my parents are not artistic people at all um but yeah they they've been really really supportive through all of it which has been great I was gonna say because my my dad was a gym school teacher and my mom was a poet so they really don't know where this came from what did, did you where what did your parents do when you were an actor yeah so um my mom growing up she was a vet tech and my dad was a mechanic so <laughs> totally different yeah, right um, and then meanwhile, they have one son that's playing guitar and one son that is performing on stage <laughs> doing musicals. So. <laughs> so so you went to Weaver and then you went to Milliken. Um, and this is and is this true? Um, you got your you started to direct at this place called Pipe Dream Studio. Was this involved with Milliken or was this uh, after? Yeah, so it, it was um, one of the really, really cool things about Milliken's theater program is they have a um, 90-seat black box theater on campus that is called Pipe Dream Studio Theater. Um, it's a company that is completely student-run. Um, so students enrolled are artistic directors. They run the company. Um, there's, like, a couple faculty advisors that, like, kind of chime in and help direct stuff, but... It's shows directed by students, choreographed, music directed by students, set designed by students. Um, it was a really, really great place for me to grow as an artist. Um, and my my time at Milliken was, um, it, it sort of opened my eyes a lot to what I wanted to do within the industry. Um, I started off as a BFA musical theater major. Um, end of freshman year, it just was not for me. Um, I, I just, I knew that like I wanted to do more and like the, the program itself just wasn't a great fit for me. Um, so I, I had talked to like different advisors, all that stuff. Um, by the end of my time at Milliken, I had a BA in theater as well as a BA in human services. Um, so like social work stuff. Um, so I was able to kind of do a lot of like my passions as well as artistic stuff um but pipe dreams was really great for me because it it was a, a vehicle for me to practice so many different areas of what i loved about theater i assistant directed i directed i performed i helped with sound i did writing like i wrote some scripts that got up on their feet in that space um it was just a really great a really great 
environment to sort of allow artists to figure out what they want to do. Um, and through it, it, like through Pipe Dreams is where I found a really strong passion for directing. Yeah, I, is, it, I, is it true that like your kind of directing is through imagination and play? And, and for you, where did that come from? Is it just because, you know, early theater, our professors are like, all right, we do theater because we play. Uh, how did that, what kind of, what, how did that work for you? Why, why imagination and play? So I always think back to um, one of my directors at, at Weaver. Um, her name is Lindsay Clinton. She's a phenomenal director. Um, and we, uh, we were doing Oedipus and I was playing Creon and she was so great about just letting us explore the text and finding new ways to just like figure out these characters. And I specifically remember one rehearsal. It was one of my favorite rehearsals that I've ever been in. She was like, great, I want you guys to play your characters, but all of you are five years old on a playground. So like taking the characters from Oedipus, which is like this big archaic text, but like acting like we're five-year-olds, <laughs> like trying to figure out who's gonna be the king of the playground, that whole thing. Um, and like, that was one of the most fun rehearsals I've ever had. And we were just playing and figuring out our characters in this very different way, but it, it helped inform like further choices that we used down the line in the rehearsal process. Just like figuring out how like I as Creon felt about Oedipus taking the kickball from me, like that sort of thing really played into the fact that in our production, like Creon felt like Oedipus took the kingdom from him. Like that's, it just, I, I love doing stuff like that where it's like, at first it just seems like you're playing a game, but it informs you of so many different choices that you can use later down the road. Right. You know, I started out as a radio major and everyone in that department was just so nonchalant about everything. And then once I got into theater, I was just hearing things of strict, no, everyone is out to get you or it's like, I know what you did last summer kind of vibes. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, great, this is gonna be great. And my first ever theater professor, Scott Olson, who was on the show last year, he kept telling me, Matt, it doesn't look like you're having fun or you're playing. And I said, I'm, I'm confused, Scott. What do you mean by playing? I'm supposed to be serious. Yes, play serious. No, don't just be it because in your head, that's just a stereotypical version of it. That's not, that doesn't feel real to you. I can tell you don't like what you're doing right now, right? And I'm like, I agree. I'm literally, it's literally, we're doing um, this play called Thief River, uh, which is a great play, but this very difficult play where the play opens and a, a guy comes out and he just killed someone for the first time by accident. And I play his best friend and potential lover and I'm just so confused and all. And I was so wooden when I came in. I was very wooden. I'm like, huh, what, what happened? And right. then, like, Matt, stop, you're, you're going nowhere. You, you're so, you're not having fun. You're not, you're not even being in the moment. So now up to this point, I just, I have to just remind myself to play first, not just do it, just play it first and then do the work first. I think that's kind of where my mindset was when I started acting. Yeah, that makes total sense. Right. Um, so you did you did the pipe, pipe dreams. Where at some point did you decide, you know what? I think I want to go to Chicago. I, so I, I knew for a while, like while I was at Millican, cause I mean, it's it's close enough to Chicago and like a lot of um, my like classmates were from Chicago or from the neighboring suburbs. Um, and I, you know, I knew that the New York market was not for me, LA market was not for me. Um, but what I loved about Chicago, every time that I was here, I would see shows that I felt were so so much more focused on the process of creating art rather than the commercial product of art, mm. which is what I, I feel is kind of the detriment of New York City and LA a lot of the time is that it's it's big, it's flashy, it's Broadway, it's it's they're working on 
getting the end product to be financially successful. Whereas Chicago has so many storefront theaters, so much new work happening and so much art that is being created for artistic fulfillment. And that's what really solidified it for me that I knew Chicago would be the market for me um, because it, it, it also allowed me to not feel like I was pigeonholed. I feel like in New York, like you're a dancer, you're always gonna be cast as a dancer or you're a really good serious actor. You're gonna be in all these dramatic pieces. Um, whereas like my, my five and a half years in Chicago, I have played so many different types of roles that have allowed me to explore a lot of different character types and really stretch me as a performer. Um, like going from Max in a kind of love story at Oil Lamp who was disgusting, like the worst, worst person in the entire world, chauvinistic, making out with multiple women throughout the course of the show, just dirtbag guy, to playing George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, to playing in Guys and Dolls, um, to all playing in the Fantastics. Like I've been able to explore so many different avenues as a performer because Chicago is open to that, which I just love to see. And it, it, there's a phrase that they call the original Steppenwolf members, they call themselves rock and roll theater, which I would agree about Steppenwolf. But I just think art in general in Chicago is just scrappy. You know, yeah. they don't care what it is. And like you said, the storefronts, I've been to some weird ass storefront theaters. A show in the dark, completely in the dark. It does, I don't know why it's in the dark. It scares, I'm scared of the dark, but <laughs> this is cool. This yeah. is really cool. We did Rich the Third in a 1930s brothel. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Up to this point, I still don't know why we did it in the brothel. I guess, I guess politics had to do something with it, but still it was scrappy and new and different. And I agree about New York. You know, I feel like New York, it feels like it feels clean. And then in California, it feels like a camera up to your face. We, clearly, because they do TV and it's more, it's these, you know, New York and California are more TV and film based. Um, so that's probably why. But, and that's, but I don't like that. I kind of like just like we said before, the play of it. Let's just throw shit out there and see what happens. Well, yeah. and, and one thing with, with Chicago being that kind of scrappier market. I, I love the idea of that. Like we're the scrappy market. Um, I like, I, I have a lot of friends in LA. I have a lot of friends in New York. And like during this downtime during COVID, like un unfortunately a lot of them have felt very, very lost and not not having that art easily accessible to them. Whereas I, I have felt with my Chicago community of actors and performers and artists that I know, like we've done a wonderful job of staying in touch with each other, doing play readings over Zoom. Like I've, I've got one scheduled for next weekend that I'm doing with a group of friends that we're just getting on Zoom, we're just reading a play. Um, and like that kind of scrappy nature, like it, it, it kind of goes back to like, we don't really care about like the end product. We just want to create something. We just want to read a play on Zoom. Like we want, right. we want to be artists. Like. Right. It's, it's, yeah, the, I think the Chicago market is really one of a kind in that sense. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about it. Going back to the pandemic, do you feel even more creative now than probably you did before all this happened? I do because I, I feel that the pandemic forced me to, I mean, it forced all of us to stop. And I, I, I know that I'm very, very fortunate to be able to say that pre-pandemic, like I was frequently consistently booked um, for, I, I think like the longest stint that I was not in rehearsals for something was like three months in the course of four years. And I know that is very rare and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but the pandemic has allowed me to stop and take a, breath which has been nice um to not constantly be like great so tonight I have to go to this rehearsal then this uh design meeting for the show that I'm directing next month and that sort of thing and just like bouncing around while working a nine-to-five job trying to have a social life all of that stuff um and so I, I yeah the pandemic has caused all of us to have to stop which has allowed me to really 
kind of breathe and like think about like the next project that I do, what do I want to do specifically? I'm not the young 20 something that would be submitting to every single posting on uh, theater in Chicago anymore. Like when it comes to like what I'm going to submit for next, like it's, I want it to be a, something that inspires me, something that I really feel passionate about doing. And I feel like because of that, like I'm going to then be able to give a better audition. I'm going to be able to tap into that more creative side that has been lacking because of this pandemic. Right. Do you think you become a better artist than a better actor? Time will tell. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I to to Chris Jones's credit, yes, we will all be rusty. I think that's a valid argument. Um, but let me tell you, I've seen some really, really great work in an audition room of somebody if it's their first time doing something their first time trying an audition piece. I don't think being rusty is a bad thing. I think it can be a really big strength. And I think that, yeah, all of us are gonna be rusty, but I think some of us are gonna, like, it's it's gonna allow us to like show something that people might not expect out of us. Right. On a side note, I, I feel, I know you probably for a year, but I feel like I've worked with you or been in the same room as you for probably two years. <laughs> Just because I don't know why we've been either in a callback or an audition room or even watching a damn show in the same room, but have just never talked with each other. Um, Even like during all the times in Oilland, I've known for a fact for every show that you were in, I was at least in the callback room with you. I still never did a scene with you. And it was like, man, I know this guy's talented. I know this guy's a really nice guy. How the hell have I never like had a one-on-one with them? That was what was so fun about It's Wonderful Life because I like, when you are auditioning as much as we we do, like you see like a couple like faces multiple times, but like you are always in my periphery. Like I was like, I've seen this guy all the time, but we've never like during callbacks, we've never read together or like, even had any like downtime where we can actually just talk and shoot the shit. Like it's been like, you've been in the room reading while I've been given a new scene and like our paths have like never actually crossed until it's a wonderful life. Um, and we actually did a scene together for callbacks. You remember this? Yeah. <laughs> that was literally the first thing I said was, thank God. <laughs> like I, we were walking and I just looked up in the sky. I just go, well, finally, this is actually going to happen. Now, I didn't get the part. I did a different part instead, but I was like, well, finally, I shared the stage with Travis Niche for two minutes, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, with, with everything with It's a Wonderful Life, I, I'm very much somebody that, like, everything works out the way it should, and I was so thrilled that we got to do that show together. It, it, it was, was a lot of fun. Such a good time. I, highlight of probably 19, 2019. I, I know you've had a lot of different roles and that I wouldn't put that probably in the ranks, but for me at least, to be in that room with uh, five or six other actors was just such a joy for me. Um, yeah, it was it was a really, really lovely experience with yeah. you guys. Yeah. So Now you teach and I, I, we've talked a lot about teaching and young and kids. How, why, how come do you want to become a teacher? Um, so I, it, it sort of came out of that um, in college, like kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And I, theater was such an important aspect of me discovering who I was as a kid um, that I, I have, I've always known that that is something that I've, wanted to continue. I've wanted to help pe- help younger people who feel kind of lost and don't really know what's going on in their lives to find something like theater to really connect to. Um, and so with my degree in human services, I like considered like being a social worker, that sort of thing, um, considered drama therapy for a while, um, just went back and forth about a lot of options. And um, I ended up getting a job working as um, a specialist for infants and toddlers, um, just through just like, I need a job, here we go. Um, And I 
absolutely fell in love with working with the little kids. I, I thought that I always wanted to work with like high schoolers, teenage years, but like absolutely love working with the tiny ones. Um, and then moving here to Chicago, I started working um, at a private preschool downtown um, as a teacher. And I, uh, and this is a new update as of a couple weeks ago that you might not have in your notes. Uh, Go for it. But I, um, as of the new year, I am no longer teaching. Um, I am now working as a director at the preschool. Um, so kind of running the show, which I personally love because now I get to pop into each of the classrooms throughout the day and get to see all the kids instead of just like my one group of kids. Um, so I'm, I'm now the administrator that comes into the classroom, gets the kids all riled up and it's like, okay, teachers, bye, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own. Yep. <laughs> I became a preschool teacher. It's job sort of fell in my lap this last fall. And I was like, like you, I wanted to do high school. I was like, all right, well, pre-K, yeah. it's a job, it'll pay. Um, for just for three girls. And that was the first thing was, I'm a tall, lanky, loud boy. Right. Are they going to listen to me? <laughs> that was literally just the first thing I thought of. And going back to this inauguration, I was talking to my mom on the phone a couple nights ago before it happened. I said, I really, really want to talk to them about it. They don't know, because all four of them were born during the previous president's administration. And I don't think they have any idea of what a president or vice president or who is going to be our next president or vice president. Um, And so I, yesterday, it was yesterday. I went up to them. I said, so who could tell me what a president it is? And they don't know what it is. And so I, I pretty much just said, they are kind of like a mom and dad, but they take care of not just you, 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 or even Mr. Matt, but they take care of everyone. And their eyes sort of bulge up, including mom and dad. I'm like, including mom and dad. And including our grandma and grandpa, including grandma and grandpa. And they're asking all these questions, like, clean this friend and that friend? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I knew, because one of them loves female role models. And again, I'm not the answer, but I had to sort of figure out, like, well, I think she's really going to like who is our vice president. And so, and one mom came up to me today, she goes, so how much do you know about Kamala? And I, I'm like, I really don't know much. I just did enough for 20 minutes. And she's like, well, she can't stop talking about her. I'm like, seriously? And I, I really just show them like a picture of her and like her role and that's kind of it. But it's crazy to me how much teachers can still have an impact on even the youngest of them. Uh, so there, I mean, there's, there's so many great books for little, little ones, like preschool age that like have this information in a very digestible way for them to understand. Um, like what one of my favorite books that I had in my classroom was um, Heroes Are Everywhere by Kamala Harris, which it talks about how like heroes can be your mom, heroes can be the vice president, like that sort of like, just like finding ways to teach them about the world around them. That's, that's what I love so much about working with really young kids it's like you have that ability to really shape their perspective of the world around them um and I so I've I have one little girl that I I was teaching her when she was two and she's four and a half now and I I'm still in touch with the family she's no longer at the school that we're at because they moved um but she I mean she still talks about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and still talks about Hillary Clinton and like all of this stuff that we we talked about in our class because I in my classroom I had a book called Little Feminists which like had like these really great iconic powerful women um that these kids might not necessarily get to know about um so it's it's really cool to be able to talk to kids at this age about things because so many people are just like there's kids they just like baby shark and it's like no like they are people they are learning the world around them (laughs) you can shape this in such i haven't showed my students baby shark once don't do it i will not (laughs) (laughs) you'll never get out (laughs) nope (laughs) you know surprisingly they do like earth wind and fire interesting i i don't play like the wiggles as much as I used to. I, pl- I like to play, I like to be the cool teacher 
who plays music with the one while they do the worksheets. Yeah. So I'm playing like Cat Stevens. <laughs> like I'm not like grandpa music. Yeah. And oh, then- me and my kiddos, we uh at when I was teaching, we we had this wonderful gymnasium space that we would use in the winters to get their energy out. Um and I'd be playing like Harry Belafonte, I'd be playing Abba, I'd be playing Diana Ross. I'd be like, you kids need to learn. Thank you. <laughs> like, again, who needs Baby Shark? Right, nobody needs it, it's fine. Yeah, no one, no one needs Baby Shark. Like here, here's Tina Turner. I will proud Mary while we're at it. Like, nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Have you tried meditation with your students? Uh, we... Did, I, I did a lot of yoga. Um, yeah. So like a lot of like breathing through that and everything. Um, just to kind of, especially like in transitions going from like, great, we just finished up snack. Let's go over to the carpet, do some yoga before we jump into like our centers or something like that. Um, as just like a nice way to like kind of calm them, ground them to get ready for the next activity. I ask that because I do meditation at least once a day with them. And mostly just because the setting they're in, it's in, it's in the basement of a house. This, this is not a school building. I am not a school teacher. So I have to somehow figure out like, okay, they are so up in energy wise that I need to somehow bring them back down. <laughs> they think it's, this, it's the weirdest thing ever when I make them breathe in through their nose and out through their mouths and make them sit on sit crisscross applesauce I'm using oh, yeah. pre-K terms. I apologize, uh, <laughs> and, but like just not saying anything for five minutes. They think it's the weirdest thing ever. A, f- a fun one for the deep breathing is you can have them. Uh, how old are you? Oh, you're three. Get three birthday candles. Breathe in. Blow mm. out your candles. Stuff like that. Right. It's always, always a hit. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, if so, we're wrapping up. But I have to ask if you have any advice for young artists. They could be preschool artists because <laughs> I know you do that, but just yep. young artists in general, what would that be for them? I, a, a big thing that, and, and it has taken me a long time to get to this point is trust in your own process um, and not letting your, don't let your opinion of yourself block your creative process. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't get so caught up in, is somebody going to like this choice that I'm making? If you feel justified in making that choice, make it, try it. Like don't spend so much time worrying about what the end product is gonna be and really live in that moment to access your creative potential. I love that. So we do have some time and we're gonna play a game. Okay. This game is called Time for Two. Uh, best game around, two minutes on the clock uh series of random icebreaker questions there's no right there is no wrong we are just curious to see your opinion are you ready let's do it (laughs) you're gonna be great here we go three two one go besides this podcast what podcast do you recommend uh terrible thanks for asking by nora mcinerney it's my absolute favorite podcast i have a tattoo with the logo hey uh uh things you buy most often at a grocery store uh bananas it's my favorite fruit and i try to eat a banana at least once a day describe your life using one word Mmm, feisty i thought it was mm for a second i was like okay. <laughs> uh the best pick part of waking up is uh my puppy he's always so excited oh uh favorite fairy tale Ooh, I love Beauty and the Beast. That counts, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Brandon or Brandon? Brandon? <laughs> Good. Are you smarter? <laughs> Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I hope so, since I'm teaching kids. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. Uh, 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 how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? I usually get to about 10, and then I just chew the damn thing, so I can't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> Favorite celebrity, Chris? Ooh, uh, does Darren Chris count? It's his last name. Yeah, sure, fine. Great. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, does Miss Piggy love Kermit? I think she does, but they could really benefit from couples therapy. Oh, great. Uh, is Jim a school subject? It shouldn't be. 
Describe your life, Bugs Life or Toy Story? Oh, I'm gonna go Bugs Life. Uh, do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch? When the gyms are open, I love the treadmill, but it's been a lot of the couch lately. Right. Uh, if you moved to Sesame Street, who would you want as your neighbor? Elmo. Elmo was my favorite since I was five. Last one, favorite ABBA song? Ooh, lay all your love on me. Yeah, that's how we lay it down. <laughs> that's how we play. <laughs> I, I bring this game. I use this game at New Year's Eve, actually. Oh, really? That's I awesome. Just, yeah. I, would, I was a jerk though and, and had a couple of beers, but every time someone went, I went favorite Matthew. <laughs> and everyone said, Broderick McConaughey. Who are you? <laughs> I'm, uh, and so there's a lot of F-bombs that day. I swear I'm not a mean person, but that <laughs> night I was just a little mean. Yeah. Uh, so Travis, before we go, my last question for you, and I think this might be an easy answer. We'll, we'll see. Um, are your parents proud of you? I think yes. I think yes. I think yes too. <laughs> Travis, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been um, an absolute pleasure just to reconnect with you once again uh, after so long. So good to see you and to talk to you as always. I love Travis Neese. I love listening to his stories. I love that he mentions his dog, his puppy. Um, he is just a, a very, very sweet guy. Um, and like I said, one of these days when all this is over, I'm going to give him the biggest hug in the world and then probably steal his dog and walk him myself. If you're listening, Travis, I'm so sorry. But this, so. this podcast does not condone dog kidnapping, <laughs> dog napping. Well, speaking of uh, uh, great things in life, Griffin, we have a very prestige guest. Who's gonna oh, oh, that's right. We do have a very prestige guest next week. I can't wait. Oh, oh, who is it? Who is it, Matt? Barbara Robertson. Woo-hoo! Yeah, we're really excited because she was our teacher in school, and she was been a teacher for pretty much everyone that we know. Um, yeah, she was actually the, la that was the last uh, acting class that I took at Columbia. My final really? semester was was with her and she's one of a kind and my god she's performed everywhere like, she has performed everywhere <laughs> I, I forgot that she was in wicked in chicago in the touring company uh and we you know my first time seeing her was doll's house part two she just yep. won the jack award last summer last fall a couple of years ago um so she is so talented and the stories you're gonna hear are amazing uh, so that's next week with Barbara Rob Robertson, and uh, I can't wait. You know. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually, I'm. I'm very excited for that one. Um, but in the meantime, uh, where where can they where can they find us, Matt, on on the socials? You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. Email us. Email us Parents Proud Podcast. Yeah. It's email.com. Yeah, it's brilliant. All you do is you go into your email, you hit compose email, you'd sit to parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. And then you just tell us, you know, just tell us what you want to know. Uh, just anything. Uh, you can, you can talk about, uh, you know, what's the show or you can talk about sandwiches. Like, right. uh, and we were actually appreciate more is like this show on your on your favorite platforms if you like the show on itunes on on spotify stitcher youtube like this podcast share this podcast comment well uh, let's try to like grow this show uh because we, we love this show we love doing the show but it's time like we, we grow even more so do that and we will we, we would appreciate it so much yeah and um Hey Griffin, Griffin, Griffin. Yeah. It's a new it's a new year. It's a new you. So like what new job have you have? Oh, that's right. Um well I tell you, I am now the official food truck operator yeah. of Are Your Parents Proud of You? What's for lunch, um, today, buddy? What's that? What's for lunch? Oh, um uh a hamburger. All right. 
Yeah, ham hamburger. It, yeah. You, you may you may think, well, that's just a hamburger, but I I assure you, a hamburger is uh, a whole different kind of beast. It's like so, yeah, it's like the scene from Pink Panther with Steve Martin going burger. I I I I've only watched the the good Pink Panthers. <laughs> good night, everyone. I'm Matt Schreiter. <laughs> that's Criminal Cargo. We'll talk to you next week. I'm sorry, Steve Martin. I I actually. <laughs> and we're out.